This week on the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. The FD turret is really important where it goes. <laughs> and then you just continue to stick it. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a podcast focused on tactics and competitive play for Star Wars Legion. Hosted by Kyle Dornboss, Michael Barry, and David Zelenka, with Jay Shalansky, the man behind the glass. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Doing pretty good. I'm ready to talk some Legion. Yep. The weather here is crappy. It's cold and rainy. It's going to snow this week. Yeah, uh, and supposedly. I don't know that I know it's going to stick, but as per usual with the DC area, everyone is going to flip out and there's going to be a million crashes, even though it's like functionally the same as rain. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it goes. It's great. Yep. It's just like Central New York. Fantastic. It <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> makes everybody crazy. Yeah, or snowflakes, even if they don't uh, actually like our, our snow by the time they hit the ground. All right. Um, well, let's just launch straight into news. Welcome to In the News. So Adepticon tickets went on sale. Uh, yesterday as we're recording this um, and two days ago probably by the time people listen to this uh, did you guys did you guys get your tickets yeah man I got it all I got the premium thing I got the very important guest thing I'm, I'm all over the place it's fantastic D- did you though because I tried it at 11:30 and it was all gone I'm on the wait list for the premium badge and I didn't end up getting the VIG well I mean like you just get put on the list for VIG, right? So oh, yeah, yeah. It's a raffle, it's a raffle anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but, like the premium thing sold out in like four minutes. It was gone. It was fast, yeah. Yeah, yeah super, super fast. fast. <laughs> um, my, wife, my wife was very understanding. I'm like, I need to be at the computer <laughs> at 2 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't feel like getting on my phone in church to, to uh, sign yeah. on. I've been fairly obnoxious, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so notably, uh, if you are planning on participating in the Legion event, which is uh, the entire thing, um, at least the main event, is invite only based on, uh, you know, the world's structure. Um, Of course, you could not sign up for that on Sunday. So apparently there's going to be an article. um, Just a heads up, if you have a world's invite, there's supposedly going to be an article um, coming out tomorrow tuesday by the time you listen to this hopefully um was supposed to be last week uh and now is possibly tuesday so um keep a lookout for that uh basically you can go on there and like input your information and indicate a preference for which of the two heats you want to be in there's one on thursday and one on friday and then um there's like a cut basically everyone that goes three and one or better will make saturday which is going to be roughly 50 people and then the top four from that day will go on to Sunday. So, um, but yeah, good. Uh, once that article comes out, you'll have supposedly more instructions in there about how all that's going to work and how you can sign up for a heat. So, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like uh, you can indicate a preference for a heat, but there's no guarantee you'll get it, which I guess makes sense because they're, you know, they could have as many as 200 people doing this. And I'd imagine most people are going to indicate friday for preference for travel reasons so you know they can't have 150 people on friday and 50 people on thursday so um 
don't be shocked if you put Friday and you get Thursday. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'm excited that we're like actually at the point where we're uh, getting real Adepticon action items. It's exciting. Um, I'm just worried because I have no idea what the hell the game is going to look like by March. <laughs> so I mean, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Like uh, a, yes and an, no. an unsolved meta is a good thing. For the for the community, yes. For the player, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just more it's just more work for us. But you know, then we wouldn't have right, anything right. to talk about, right? That's fair. We can't just talk about tauntauns and chores for the next three months. I mean, we could. Oh, oh, <laughs> clear. I, I can. Yeah, I mean, I do on my streams, but you know. But anyway, you know, I, your point is well made. Um, if the if there was just a static meta, you know, it would be pretty boring very quickly. So. Well, and there is, um, I mean, in theory, at least according to the revised, revised edited uh, schedule that they've put out, um, there's a literal boatload of things coming out in January. So, and then maybe tanks still in February. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's sort of unclear. Yeah, not super clear. It's 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 definitely not clear what's going to be legal for LVO, and it's even less clear what's going to be legal for Worlds. Um, but I think that's a good thing at the moment that we have no idea so yep any other thoughts on that no all right so i won't be able to get hip checked by a trash can by the end of january (laughs) (laughs) that was a pretty awesome moment Um, it was so actually let's just segue straight into invader league um kingsley did defeat technophobia to uh, earn a spot in the top four for invader so we are now down to four um and he did so with a hip check from R2-D2. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty epic last turn, actually. Bosk was in a position to like drop uh, munition, Mertilus munitions on the center and kill like p- three, possibly four, four uh, activations. Um, Kingsley had three sniper teams basically prepared to rush the middle objective. Um, but Bosk had to take a move to get in range of all of them. Um, so Kingsley played blast off and one priority and then meleeed Bosk with R2. Right. <laughs> to lock, to lock he, he diverted from the secret mission to engage Bosk. Yeah. To it was, keep Bosk from bombing in the right place. Yeah, it was pretty clever. It, it was it was a, an epic end of the game. It was a situation that he wouldn't have been in if he'd taken an extra move action, uh Bosk on the previous turn, but um, right, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm sure he didn't see the wild R two blasting off over a building. To, I don't think most people did. I was like just lurking in chat, and when Kingsley moved R two into like attack Bosk, there was several people who were like, "Oh my god, this is the worst play ever!" And they like turned around like an hour later and were like, "Oh my god, that was the best play ever!" Right, <laughs> it was super brilliant actually in, in in hindsight, and and I saw it because, um. I kind of saw that being right because Kingsley was trying to go for the um, a one point victory where he would contest two objectives and just win on the one KP that was completely uncontested in his backfield, and and it was just it was the best move and it was not obvious and uh, just a really brilliant piece of innovation by Kingsley there. I mean, um, to be fair, R two should have been super dead, right? Because Bosk should have should quote should have meleeed him for more than one hit. Yes. <laughs> which R2 then dodged because he had blast off. I and mean, then because R2's a droid trooper, he's not affected by Dioxus poison. 
<laughs> so he literally couldn't be killed after yeah. that. I think the likelihood that he dies there is actually like, I mean, it's probably a lot closer to a coin flip than I'm giving it credit for. But I mean, a coin flip's not a bad probability, you know. It's probably it, it, like, it's probably about sixty forty. Yeah, like, um, so I mean, like, clearly not the not the odds you want to bet your game on. But if if you're like you know looking for outs, um, a sixty percent out is not terrible. Yeah, it was a complete Hail Mary. Like, there was no... I mean, Kingsley was basically dead if without that melee tie-up. Because, yeah. if, if, because of the boss, well, the misplay, right? Like, if Boss had taken the, the triple move off of Reptilian Rampage, he would have been in the right place, regardless of R2-D2. Yep, and then he kills three, if not four, units and, uh, you know, scores. He just wins scores the game. Yeah, right. Um. Anyway, so congrats to Kingsley. Um, <laughs> I now have to play him. <laughs> so we get a rematch from last season. Um, this will actually be, I think, our official rubber match because uh, he beat me at High Command. Um, I beat him last Invader, and then uh, this this will be our two out of three, basically. So there's cool. a lot of pressure here because you know Tauntauns. This this is the test. This, this is the right. major test. Yeah, this is this was my like part of the purpose of playing the list that I did, which I've talked about already. But essentially, it's a Jedi Luke gun line. Is like, I feel pretty good about it against Empire matchups, but can it handle triple Tauntauns? And Kingsley has obviously a very skilled pilot, but um, also has one of the probably the best optimized versions of a triple Tauntaun list that's out there. So um, we'll see. I don't feel great about the list matchup. Um, It'll be a good test of Jedi Luke gunline. Yeah, I mean, if if any if we learned anything from the game yesterday is that um, if you're able to deal with the tons, like clearly the game becomes considerably easier. Right, that's the big trick, though. Right, can you kill the tons before they murder you? Yeah, um, and I'm not sure the answer is yes. <laughs> well, you know, you're gonna have to. Operative Luke's gonna have to put that backpack on and. Oh yeah. Get, Go down. He's gonna have to put I the mean, other six hundred points of the list on his back and carry it across the finish line. Do you have tenacity? No. Okay. So he can't one shot Tauntaun unit. Uh, not, I mean, with, with, not with a single attack. Skywalker. Yeah, you can yeah. do it with Son of yeah. Skywalker, but yeah, not with single oh, attack. Man. So I'm gonna have to chip him a little bit. I, well, I see a Son of Skywalker in your two, turn two or three in your upcoming match. I think. I, I mean, if, if like you're gonna win that match. Like that's what you need an effective son of Skywalker like early on. I think. Oh yeah. Unless he plays super conservatively. Right, which is possible. Um, he's Kingsley's very good at showing restraint and uh, not going in until absolutely necessary. So he actually did do that in the in the casted game. When you think he was going to play no time, he played save our skins and pop the uplink early, and then like did this stuttering kind of reposition where the uplink taunt took one move, triggered a standby to clear the way for the other two sets of Tauntauns. So it did the single move shoot, took the standby back, recovered, and then the other two came in and they formed like this line, uh, all like parallel to each other, you know, either, you know, one on the one side and heavy cover, one on the left side and heavy cover, one in the middle getting cover from the other Tauntauns. And they all just went in together and it was just like, it, it's really clean was what impressed me about it. Like the, the positioning was very clean and very organized. Yep. And I think that's something Kingsley is really good at is having an organization to the way that he deploys his units. 
So if, if there's anything to learn there, it's it's doing that is crucial. Um, I think just in that vein, uh, his match before this one, um, I forget who he was playing. Um, oh, Pagoda um, Barbeta. Pagoda yeah. Barbata, yeah. yeah. And like, so I uh, I didn't watch the end tail end of the game because I like watched the first three turns. It was like, wow, okay. Um, but like, it seemed like. Pagana did like just about everything right and he like set Kingsley up in this like disarray corner of the board that was like looked like the worst deployment I think I've ever seen someone have to deal with and it was miserable he had like tauntauns just like out of cover because there was no place to put them and there was no cover on the entry and he was just really skillful about it and uh I don't know. It's it's a good list. Um, I guess we'll see we'll see how this pans out. And, uh, <laughs> out of the heavyweight Star Wars Legion 2019. I will caveat this by saying that both of Kingsley's opponents had openings to win, and they flubbed because of a choice they made. Well, either... yeah, I mean, that's how you lose, right? A choice well, you well, make ends up netting. Yeah, but um, but it's not like he was. It's not like he had no shot. Yeah, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. There were two very close games where had a it, it wasn't like a dice roll decided it. It was an actual choice that literally, if it had been made any other way, would have resulted in a, in a W in the other column. Correct. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, that's a legion, right? Like, yeah. That's how it goes. Right. Victory can escape you before you even realize it sometimes. Um, I, I'll tell you one thing. Technophobia did, did make me want to put Bosk on the table again. He's oh, so yeah. good, man. He's I've really been good. trying to tell everybody <laughs> for like the last two months. I'm like, I don't see Bosk anywhere, and I think you all have forgotten he's, what he's, that man can he's do. He's awesome. People. He's still my boyfriend. Yeah. I, uh, I think I have a love triangle now between myself, Palpatine, Bosk, and uh, Jedi Luke. And, and yeah, I mean, he like, was never that's, bad. That's more than three people. How's that a triangle? Is, is that a square, a love square? A love square. Go. Yeah. I'm not sure how to resolve it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have to to figure it. It I got three months to figure it out. You need a Pentagon to give us some sort of tie break. <laughs> there you go. Um, Count Dooku, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Dang. The fact that you said that while I was thinking you were going to say that is crazy. Hey, man. Weird, but... you, you know me. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about. So, we've talked a lot about my list. We actually had um, Kings Leon like a month ago at this point to talk about his list. Um, so let's talk about the other two top four invader lists real quick. So first we have, uh, Luke cook world champion, Luke cook, no surprise that he made top four. Um, so he's got an ATST. This is a weird, I mean, I shouldn't say it's a weird list. It is clearly a variation on the shoreline, um, that I guess, you could say abuses the relay mechanic probably to its fullest extent by kind of finishing the relay chain with um, the biggest, baddest thing you could put on the end of it. Yeah. I mean, so let's, let's talk about what's in here real quick. It's um, Krennic with aggressive tactics and strict orders, uh, three short troopers with T21Bs, one of which has an astromech. Um, three mortars with all with comms relays, uh, two scout trooper strike teams with snipers, 
and an ATST with the Hammer's Elite Pilot, that's the Surge Pilot, the Mortar, the Twin Light Blaster, and Link Targeting Array. Yeah, I mean, he's essentially, I mean, on any given turn, if he plays standing orders, he hands out four Surge Tokens, he... Um, hands out four aim tokens <laughs> yeah. and, and can automatically strip three suppression with strict orders. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. I mean, like uh, that's the power in this list for sure. Um, yeah. I don't and really have and it's much a, else to say about it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a 10 activation ATSD list with three short troopers in it. So like if you try and engage this thing at range three or four, it will just grind you into the ground yeah i mean i sort of feel like this list is probably i mean i think it's well poised against um like the shoreline meta mm-hmm. generally just because i think the atst is a really good like hey you have to deal with this and it's just going to delete a shore trooper unit every turn if you don't um <clears throat> but I don't think this list is that particularly good against Tauntauns. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the terrain and where he can get that. In. Where he can, sorry, that's my cat literally knocking over a box. Um, <laughs> actually, the box Dooku was in, I think. It's okay, um, he'll be fine. Yeah. He's uh, hard plastic. Yeah. Actually, I think he's soft plastic, but you know that's what I meant. To say. Yeah, whatever the more robust plastic is for not breaking. Yeah, um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, tauntauns. Yeah, I guess it depends on what the terrain looks like and if he can get that ATST in there for blocking purposes. Um, so actually, we we actually know what map the semifinals are being played on. It's on um, a Naboo map called Feed, uh, which is of course the city on Naboo. Um, it's going to be interesting. There's definitely some chokes and stuff. So um, I'll be yeah, curious to I see just, how. I, I feel like the ATST is really, frankly, quite vulnerable to RAM. Um, just uh, generally. Uh, that's that's more of a hunch than anything else. But I mean, like, it's not out of the question to get three or four crits in a, in a melee charge. Well, I think that's, I think that's basically true. Um, I think the issue there is that the Tauntauns are not engaged when they do that. And you've got three shore troopers, you know, backing up the ATST. So like you're probably even with three Tauntauns, not going to kill it in one turn. Um, and then you get, doesn't the ST give it cover though? Give them cover. Yeah. I mean, it'd be light cover, but yeah. Two dodge tokens plus light cover is pretty good. It is. But when you got three shores and an ATST shooting, you know, at obviously they wouldn't have light cover from the ATSD. ATSD backs no, up and shoots no. one, um, and then Shores shoot the other two. I think that's probably still a favorable trade for the SD. Like, I think it probably doesn't die, and you probably kill two Tauntauns. But I, maybe we'll find out. Um, I think actually Ellis. Why don't we jump straight into Ellis's list? I think he only has two Tauntauns. Um, and and Ellis is playing Luke, right? No, he's playing Sabine. Oh, he's playing Sabine. No, no yeah. I mean Ellis is playing Luke Cook. Oh yes, 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 yes. Ellis is playing against Luke Cook. <laughs> there's a, there's only one Luke Skywalker in the top four. Okay, yep. there can only be one. Two, 
There seems to be a strong correlation between Star Wars fans and people named Luke. For some reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot gee, of. Luke. Gee, I wonder why. It's also a uh, <laughs> it's also a super reasonably common name. Yeah, so Ellis only has. I'm just gonna name my first child Chewbacca. Is it a common name because all of our dads like Star Wars? That's also possible. Yeah. Right. I seriously considered naming my son Luke. Not gonna lie. <laughs> um anyway all right so ellis's list um this is ellis Priestley, by the way uh one of the better players in the uk um uh we got uh leia with strict orders r2d2 uh sabine with hunter that's an interesting one for tauntauns i guess recon intel um the grappling line and dark saber mm. and then he's got four naked rebel troopers um, three sniper strike teams and two tauntauns, each with tenacity and comms jammer. Twelve activations. <laughs> this is the world we live in now, guys. Isn't it fun? Yeah, that's um, that's a lot of activations. Uh, I mean, this is kind of a spin on a triple tauntaun list, except your third tauntaun is Sabine. Yeah, which I, which I don't think is necessarily bad. I think two is enough to get the job done most of the time. Yeah, especially uh, when they're accompanied by Sabine with Darksaber. Yeah. Uh, and I think the thing I like about this list, it's just so much... I, I feel that it is much more like uh, just take all comers. Sabine can deal with a lot of things. And just her toolbox, specifically the way he's built her with Grappling Line um ma- makes him able to deal with just far more threats that um the normal triple tons like the triple normal triple tons list is actually i think pretty narrow um yeah yeah i mean it can deal with luke jedi luke so um, I, I just i just did some quick math off the cuff the average activation count for the lists in the top four is 11 and a quarter. So we've got two with 12. I have 11. Um, and, and Luke, 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 Luke has 10. 10. Yeah. I just, you know, I know that there's been a lot of talk lately about, oh, you know, lower activation count lists are still good. The bar has, yeah. the bar has moved. You know, I think I think that maybe you can say that if you're within like plus or minus one of the average activations, but uh, you can't play an eight activation list fighting against something with twelve activations in it. Not from the get go, at least. No, I mean your opponent's going to do f- literally fifty percent of their turn after you're done. Yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen. And so this brings us to the question that I know that we all have been waiting to answer for the last month and a half are naked rebel troopers the bees knees um i mean i definitely think they're good enablers of the other great tools that rebels have which you know we've essentially mentioned in all these lists but r2 sabine tauntauns luke um you know they're cheap they can grab boxes they're not terrible at suppressing things because they have black dice you know they're not going to like murder anything but um yeah do you wish you didn't take your z6s 
Um, <laughs> I don't feel like I can just answer. Rub it, just rub it in some more, man. <laughs> I don't feel like I can say yes after that game with Master of the Force, Luke. Um, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I'm asking you to answer that question honestly. I, th- I think I think if I was guaranteed to only be facing Empire opponents, I would say yes. I would rather just not have the Z sixes. Um, I think they're still good in Rebel matchups, even against Tauntauns. I guess we'll find out um, whether that holds up against Kingsley this week. Sure. Um, so th- the short answer is I, I don't know. Uh, I've been building. You know, doing a lot of list crafting without them and with the naked troopers. Um, you can definitely get the activation count up, but I'm not, I'm personally not a Tauntaun player. And, you know, so that means that I'm using those points for things like ATRTs. And I don't know. I don't feel as good about that. I, I have to agree with that sentiment. I think this is almost a unique symptom of, of Tauntauns and getting yourself to the the activation levels that you need to really succeed in that style. Um, Tauntauns, you know, if you are activating last and you have that piece of the line of sight blocking terrain to hide them behind and you have 12 activations and your opponent has 10, if you lose priority, your Tauntauns are immune to damage, basically, unless they have a standby in a good place. Um, Then you first them in or you know, maybe like second them in because you obviously want to hook up with a unit in the enemy camp that's already activated so they don't get shot again that turn, barring some crazy circumstance like force push, etc. Um, but I have tried the naked trooper spam without tauntauns. And tauntauns are unique in that they are so fast and so threatening that they create a situation where they are in control of most of the board and your opponent is like struggling to fight through this wall of 24 wounds with you know multiple dodges at a time and you are just chilling in the backfield saying uh you can't get to where you need to get and um i'm just gonna win on objectives because you are just pushed so far away from whatever key positions that you're on i mean if if in that game with kingsley and um with technophobia you saw that he couldn't even capture his home objective for five rounds like he captured his home key position on round six. And in fact, he didn't even capture it. He just contested it. <laughs> and and the Tauntauns exert this huge pressure on the board that keeps your army from getting shot back. But if you don't have that kind of pressure piece, yeah, sure, you can hide, but your opponent is free to shoot your, your tiny core squads and just delete them. Or or, or, t- or take up positions, what, you know, advance on the right. table, yeah. Exactly. And so they are they're free to like shoot you back. And then you can't fight because you can't trade, right? They just delete you and and they take no damage. And they're like, well, that was easy because you exerted little to no pressure on them. Yeah. So I think the short answer there is, is I think that it's possible that naked rebel troopers are tauntaun only. It's possible. Uh, Not certain, but I think it's possible just because of the unique sort of board control that tauntauns give you. Right, and I mean, in the triple RT list I tried, it's not like I didn't have success, but that's because I had Luke and Sabine at the head of that list who are their own kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. Right, and I was still able to get up to 11, which is pretty damn good, you know. So, again, I think it's an open question still. Um, Tauntauns, though, huge beneficiaries if you can get to 12, and definitely would take the naked troopers to get to 12. No question. 
Fair enough. You guys got any other Invader League thoughts? It'll be interesting. You know, um, I'm excited to see a vehicle in the, the like real meta, even if um, it's mostly due to the fact that mortars are really good. <laughs> and more specifically, <laughs> mortar relays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, mortars are 41 points and yeah. happen to pass their order token to something else. Yep. I mean, you know. Um, so it's the Imperial equivalent of a Rebel Trooper. It just shoots at range four and has suppressive and ignores dodges. And has critical, you know? like Right, exactly. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's significantly better than a, than a Rebel Trooper. And um, it's worth pointing out that I think its effective health is probably, it's pretty close Six. to a, a normal rebel s- trooper squad yeah you know? it's if if not a little better no it's it's not. it's worse yeah yeah slightly it's, worse it's yeah. not by much though clearly if you get pierce involved yeah. like it's like one hit worse <laughs> yeah um but it's also worth noting that it's like not hard that hard to keep them in cover um as opposed to a lot of like emplacements just because mm-hmm. range four is really long yep. so yeah i don't know um anyways uh so it'll be cool to see an ATSD um, get in there. Um, I sort of hope the Tauntaun lists lose, but lo- both of them just kind of like lose out. Sorry, Kingsley. Sorry, Ellis. But I think we want to see the good guys win. <laughs> That'd be fun to get a world's final rematch too. It would be. It would be. Um, Which is certainly possible at this point. It There's is. What, yeah. Twenty-five percent chance that that's that ends up happening. Yeah, I mean, all other all other things being equal, I think that's how it works. Yeah. So. Um, all right. Well, good luck to all those guys. Um, and uh, um, let's let's and move we'll on. see you in hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Legion One Hundred and One. It's time for Legion One Hundred and One classes in session. So we're going to talk about command cards today and more are we talking about specific command cards no we're going to talk generally about command cards and when to play them and how to a force your opponent to play certain ones and b uh try and anticipate what they have and what they're going to play and uh essentially just i mean the core question we're going to try and answer in this segment um is sort of in the abstract, but it's going to be like, when do I play a certain command card? Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that um, unlike a lot of our 101 segments that are like pretty based in factual reality in that like, this is what this unit does and these are the numbers and things of that nature, when it comes down to when to play command cards, a lot of it is uh, what you could call game theory. Um, it's there's no hard and fast rules a lot of the time. I mean, there are, there are situations that come up where like there is a correct command card play 90% of the time in a certain situation or whatever. But there are a lot of situations where you can mess with your opponent and gain some benefits. Yeah, so let's talk first generally about pips. Um, and when you want to lose priority and when you want to win priority and when maybe you don't care one way or another. Yeah, and, and I think um, the best way to learn how to kind of 
use and abuse the number of pips on your cards is to pretend like all of your command cards don't have text. And that the only thing that you're really leveraging when you're playing a one pip card is that I get to go first as opposed to I get to play Son of Skywalker and attack you twice. Because a lot of people will read the text on Son of Skywalker and say, oh my god, I get to make two attacks. That's really good and really powerful. And don't get me wrong, it is. But the best part of that card is that Luke Skywalker gets an order and he gets to go first. Yep. Um, so, with keeping that in mind, um, I think the the situations we want to call out at least at the beginning here, is you know you want to put your opponent in a situation where they need to play a low-pip initiative card in order to get themselves out of a situation that is bad for them. So if that means, um, you know, kind of as your last activation on a given turn, um, kind of putting Luke Skywalker in a position where at the beginning of next turn he could force push something around the corner and eat it for free without being threatened that means you are not if you're able to build that situation out you are not pressured to play a one pip command card because sure luke could eat that unit for free but you also are still going to be able to do things with him if he doesn't do that immediately like you can play return of the jedi on that turn and if they don't go first with that unit you can still do that. But if they do play like a one pip ambush and give that unit in order to get them out of there, you've generated tempo in that they now have one less one pip to compete with your Luke one pips when the time comes to start having the brawl, um, the initiative brawl that you want to be having. Yeah. And this is, it's important to sort of think this over like six turns. And kind of generally, usually the way that I approach it in my brain is that unless unless you're creating a situation like on the first turn where you can, you know, your opponent's deployed something out of position and you can like delete a unit uh, with a long range unit on the first turn, usually I try and lose priority early and then win priority late. Um, and if you can create those situations like you described, Mike, on turns two or three where you're burning your opponent's low pips, and essentially ensure on turns four, five, and six that if you need to win priority, you can. That's like the ideal command card setup as far as sequencing is concerned. So, you know, it, it obviously depends on which characters you have too. Like if you've got Krennic or Dooku who have Cunning, you know, that significantly increases your options for winning priority because you're guaranteed to win ties. It does. And it also, I mean... In kind of flipping the, the page on those two characters, if you're playing against Krennic and Dooku, it's even more important to put them in situations like that because you want to get those cunning cards out of their hand before it actually like destroys you. Because those cards, if they have them on the pivotal turn, will completely turn the game state around because they get to go first and you don't get to have any say about that. Yep. That can be tough to do sometimes, but like making Krennic burn Voracious Ambition because you've put a, a unit in a very exposed position early in the game where you can play Assault and not worry about it um, is huge. So when it comes time to for you to engage with whatever focus piece you're engaging with, 
you at least have a 50-50 roll-off, and it's completely possible they don't have any one pips left. Yeah, and it's also important to know, like, to know or be able to predict which one pips your opponent has, particularly if they have multiple characters. Because there are situations like your, if your opponent is running R2, like if they're running a list like what Kingsley has, which is essentially R2, Leia, Tauntauns, right? There's there's three possible one pips there. There's Ambush, uh, Blast Off, and Coordinate Bombardment. And two of those cards cannot give orders to Tauntauns without uplinks, right? There's a Special Forces one too, Kyle. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <But> <laughs> realistically speaking, you're looking at one of those three options, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you can predict either like your opponent's already played Ambush or you think they don't have it, then you know that like if your opponent needs to win priority to do something specific with a Tauntaun, they're not going to be able to play a one pip to do it. Unless they've got an uplink or something. Unless they have uplink, right. Which most 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 of the time there's at least one Tauntaun with an uplink in those kind of builds. Um, but it helps to know like which cards... You know, this is especially true if your opponent has like an operative because they can't give, you know, if they've got oper- operative cards, those can't give orders to other units outside things like Entourage or Uplink. Um, so, you know, if your opponent's running Boba Fett, right, and he doesn't have any sort of special tricks to give other things orders, um, you know that if he plays one pip to win priority, he's going to, and he doesn't need priority with Boba Fett, he needs it with some other unit, he's going to have to rely on a bag pull. Um, to do that thing so that's also useful to know yeah and in a, in a situation like you described where let's say your opponent has an operative specifically like boba or bosk where all of their command cards strictly give orders to those characters like sabine's a little different she's got a little bit more flexibility because legacy of mandalore obviously hands out more than one order token and mm-hmm. just to her but if if you are if you put them in a situation where they have to burn like a neutral push or a neutral ambush and they can't put an order token on their operative it's also important that you've created a opportunity to catch that character sort of flat-footed if you know they kind of move him out and expose expose them to a couple squads or whatever where you can move and shoot or whatever and you can so, okay, great. So they, they activated that other unit and got it out of there. But now you have the opportunity to shoot at a Boba or a Bosk who they don't get to choose when they get to go anymore. Um, and that's also very powerful. Yep. Yeah, the bottom line here is like on the early turns, you want to be creating situations where your opponent's units are exposed and that they have to spend some kind of action economy or pip economy to save that unit. Um, and... Uh, kind of going back to where I started, like treat your cards like their text is blank. I think a lot of people do not play standing orders enough. If you watch a lot of like high level games, you'll see people play standing orders on like turns one through three sometimes, just because they need to go last. Um, yep. And that's very important. Um, so, and and if you're treating your cards like they have no text, that's a lot easier to do. You're like, oh, well, I'm not really wasting an effect this turn. And a lot of times you should kind of look at the effects on those cards as bonuses and not so much as like, don't get me wrong. A lot of the times those plays can be high tier, but like cards like master of evil, like you're not always going to get to lay down a bunch of suppression tokens. And sometimes the dodge token is good enough, you know? Um, And in any case, play a few games like that and see how, how it goes. 
Yeah, and that's right. I think the point is well made. Sorry, Kyle. Um, I think the point is well made. Like, the optimal play is based on the context, right? So this is true for Master of Evil, like what Mike was saying, where it's like, yeah, maybe that suppression drop is nice, but it's not like if the position demands that you play uh, your three pip card, you know, for some other element of it, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate, you know, just to say, okay, fine, I'll just have to skip whatever this is, this game, because the position demands that I play this three pip card so that I lose priorities, so that I don't take more damage than I need to. And I think it's very contextual. It's not uh, strictly. Um, uh, effects based, like like Mike was saying, and and I definitely one second what he's saying about you know treating your command cards as if they're blank, um, because more often than not the sort of global state of the game, the you know going the ability to go last, the ability not to expose yourself to damage, is much more important than any one effect. Yeah, and sort of just a slight segue point too. There is like. As far as you mentioned Master of Evil, Mike, and like saving a command card for a home run play that may never come. Yeah. Um, like as far as text effects are concerned, generally, you're like unless you're certain that a situation is going to present itself late in the game where that command card can have a better effect, like you want to use them as soon as they're useful. Um, Son of Skywalker is a great example of this. I tend to play Son of Skywalker. Uh, as soon as I can safely delete a unit with it. Um, yeah, I mean, as soon as the text can, like, take effect and has a, like, physical impact on the game, like, great, go for it. Yeah. Play the card. Right. Um, but, like, I've seen too many games where, you know, you know, Vader gets left out in the open because he didn't have a dodge token and he dies. Well, you lost Master of Evil anyways, so, you know... Um, I mean that's that's like a you know uh, kind of a niche case I guess or or one that is a little bit obvious but um, you know I mean playing playing it's like playing Sabine's two pip card on turn one like yeah you could save that for the recover action but like throwing down her symbol or whatever it is just like as a global game effect that's a card it's like one of a few cards where you like might want to play that on turn one as opposed to playing standing orders. It's it's and and even then maybe not, but um there are a few cards that operate in that fashion. Well and that's that's a good example too, specifically just as far as like if you're running lists with multiple focus pieces. You know, Luke Sabine is kind of the, the token example there. But that's a card that does not give an order to Luke. And when I'm running Luke Sabine, you know, it's a card that doesn't win priority and it's a card that doesn't give order to Luke. So, you know, first turn is actually a good time, at least as far as like pip and orders are concerned to play that card. Because like, if you pull Luke from the stack on the first turn, it's not usually the end of the world. Um, you're probably making a positioning move up against some kind of line of sight blocker anyway. So like, that's a good time to get a card out of your hand that doesn't give him an order and doesn't win you priority. So I find myself, at least when I'm playing Luke Sabine, playing, um, sorry, uh, the, uh, what, symbol the two peeps, Symbol of Rebellion, yeah, um, on first turn, just to get that graffiti token down and to get that, um, you know, that two pip out of my hand so that later in the game I can play those one pips and I can play the orders 
you know, my ally, uh, legacy and, um, return of the Jedi that give orders to, to each other. So. I mean, I just run push. <laughs> that's like that's fair. I sorry mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna be that guy but, but and be I mean, like i just wrote push but, but i think that that kind of speaks to what we're talking about though right is like sometimes you would just rather have the text on the card be blank you know exactly like, like yeah symbol of rebellion's text is like really good but like you kind of just want to push on that list because you would rather have two orders on two focus pieces um, right, you'd like the security that it provides other than, you know, just this effect that's like, mm, you know, maybe that's okay, maybe Sabine needs this recovered this game, maybe she doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's a ticket or leave it sort of thing, because the effect is not quite, I, I'm, I don't want to say good enough, because it's an amazing card effect, but you're right, it's the security you get by having the two orders in your focus pieces. And, and I think the main thing that we're really speaking to when we're talking about card effects versus, you know, blank cards like Assault, Push, and Ambush is that... Assault, push, and ambush are all consistent. Like, you know what you're getting, right? And with these card text abilities that are significantly more narrow, like a two-pip that only gives, a, you know, an order to an operative like Sabine, or a three-pip like line and weight that only gives a token to Bosk or whatever, like, it's significantly limiting your options. And that's not to say those cards aren't good, but they certainly are significantly less flexible right we saw that in kingsley's game uh i'm gonna keep bringing this up he had to play save our skins on the second turn because he needed another three pip but one of those orders was staple to leia so he had to blow an uplink early and that represented a little bit of a risk he had to actually play even more conservatively because he couldn't take a second copy of assault right he had to take this other three pip that was actually kind of worse in his list because there were no other choices. Yeah, that's a situation where you could, if you could take assault twice, you would do it. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. It's kind of weird. Um, I, like not to call it. I mean, I'm gonna call out this card specifically, but save our skins. Like the card effect. Like if it was any character other than Leia, it'd be bananas. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, 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 yeah. like if that card said hand out three orders on one of your activations this turn, you can like just go with two units. Like that. That would be bananas. Right. Let's errata common cause to do that because then that <laughs> card would get played. <laughs> um, doesn't common cause do that already? It does, but it doesn't. It only issues two orders. It doesn't issue three. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, but it's a one pip that um, issues two orders. Yes, I mean, like, yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if I mean, we're starting to see Chewbacca be played a little bit more. It's possible that you know, especially with you know, more room in these rebel lists where people are playing rebel troopers. Um, we might, we might see that more often. Um, I think that card is that card. If Chewbacca was playable, that, that card is like probably top five command cards. Pretty easy. Wait, wait, wait. We just need to take battle meditation on Luke. So we can give out that we can give Chewie's order to someone else or something. No, that's not, that's not how battle med works. That's not how it works. Okay, then we need to take a calm relay on Chewie. I guess I don't know. Um, <laughs> we can't, of course. But but like, you know, uh, I mean, that card is super powerful. It, it, yeah, it's, at it's, a point in the game where dope. you win priority and you get to go with Luke, delete a unit, and then Chewie, delete a unit. Like, that's real good. Yeah, I wish it were. 
<laughs> I wish I could actually play that list. But you're right. Functionally, yeah, it's crazy good. Yeah, I mean... Like, and yeah, Leia's effect, if it wasn't on her own card, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it'd, be, it'd be really good. I guess to get back to the discussion at hand, though, as far as command cards go, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to talk about the kind of complexities of this because it's really very dependent on the situation. Like if you're able to eliminate an enemy character, it significantly increases your options as to like how you can manipulate your opponent into playing cards. You know, if you kill their veers and all of a sudden, you know, they only have the operative cards left or they only have the, the neutral generics and you know, which neutral generics they've played. Like, you know that they're pretty much, gonna be either stuck on standing orders or push or repelling rampage or whatever um you you should start you know make sure that you have that in your calculus for setting up for next turn and 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 picking which units that you are going to um intentionally kind of pick to expose all right you got it. You guys got any more? Uh, that was that was a lot on a very abstract topic. But you guys got any more on command card timing? Um, I mean, I I feel like this is something that you can kind of write a book on. Maybe this is something that would be good to write an article on. Um, as far as like, here's a scenario, and let's go through the game theory of like what you should do in this scenario. So maybe that's something we'll explore at a at a later date. Yeah, it's like a tactics puzzle. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we got a little time left. Should we? Should we talk about everyone's favorite satellite dish? With everyone's favorite satellite dish. Yeah. Do you mean everybody's favorite trash can? <laughs> no, the FD cannon. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about R two. No. When you said dish, he's got a little dish antenna thing that he pops up and spins, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. That's accurate. Okay. But, I mean, it wouldn't be a very interesting segment if we were just talking about R2's dish, right? I don't know. I mean, maybe it would yeah, be. All R2 is is a dish. <laughs> a tasty dish? No. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the FT cannon. All right, go for it. Um, so, uh, I'm using one in Infanter League. <laughs> um, it's pretty good with range five. Yeah, I mean it's the best sniper out there. It, it's yeah, yes, it's, that's 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 right, right? You know, I mean, it, it costs what twenty points more than a sniper 22. nowadays, twenty-two or something. Twenty-two. You know, for one and a half snipers, you get an extra three dice and basically an aim token on every shot. I mean, I guess you get aim tokens anyways, but aim tokens are a little bit more valuable when you definitely have dice to reroll with it. Yeah, I mean, it's five dice. Um, it's no pierce, but uh, and no sharpshooter, but it's five dice. Same range. Um, stationary, which isn't ideal, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think as a one-of, it's not bad. Um, when you got range five, you don't need to go much of any place. Yeah, I mean, so I actually, you know, um, with all of the changes that, when when all the changes, with the sniper changes specifically, I've actually found myself um, deploying closer to the back of my deployment zone. 
Hmm. Um, and I think this sort of speaks to the FD canon a little bit as well, is that I, you know, I play Imperial, so clearly I generally am either equal on range or have a range advantage most of the time. Um, so what I find myself doing a lot is deploying intentionally kind of at or around range five or farther away from my opponent if I can, so that I can kind of dictate when my units enter into combat range and who gets to make those shots. Um, so bringing this back around to the FD turret, um, I think the FD turret is like pretty much outside of sniper is the only good rebel option to kind of expose lists to make them kind of back up like that. Yeah. And it's notable that, you know, besides snipers themselves, it's the only range five option in the game. So at the moment, like rebels are the only faction that can field, uh, four or more range five units. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's the DC 15s on the take that clankers turn. That's kind of a waste. Right. So. Yeah. Like just, just um, as a general rule, um, like you can create at least a temporary, like you, you, you have a range bubble in the theory where you have a slight advantage over an empire gun line. If you run triple sniper and an FD. Yes. Um, and you're, you're dish network. Me <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I would take more than one. So let's let's talk let's talk since we are talking about the FD let's talk about what upgrades to put on it maybe its strength and weaknesses and then um, like how to run it. Um, do you guys have strong feelings about upgrades? Naked. Naked. Uh, I also agree. Naked. Um, so it it does have a comm slot and a generator slot. Um. The comm slot, I think you could make a case. Like I've seen people field it with uplink or link targeting array, but um, for link targeting array to work, you have to give it orders. And at least in the list that I field it with, it's you know, it, like I don't I don't have the command cards to give it orders. Um, so well, so I think I've seen this used a couple different ways. First, I think let's call out HQ uplink. Because I think that it was important when it was when it was at range four, because you weren't always guaranteed that something was going to enter your threat range by the time the FD activated, and that made HQ uplink like pretty important. Now with range five, you pretty much you're going to have something in your threat range, right? Just about always, right? You're you're going to shoot at something even if it's a little suboptimal, so uplink's less necessary. Um, I've seen link target and array be put to pretty good use uh, alongside vets that didn't take a Mark II and took an FD turret instead. Um, I don't know how much merit that has to it because I still don't think vets are like super great, but I do think that's a little bit of a wombo combo similar to what, um, similar but not the same as to what the Imperials are doing. It's also, as far as link targeting array is concerned, um... You know, it's a five dice pool, which is a decent size, but it's not like an ATSD pool, which is like, you know, seven to nine dice. One in in my experience, one aim token, the one you get from the aim action you're taking, is usually enough to get like four to five hits. So, you know, it's possible that that second aim token you're rolling like your your fifth dice, which is a blank, um, 
but you're not going to be getting as much value out of that second aim token as you are out of the first one. So, um, I, uh, you know, I just, I think if you could guarantee getting in an order every turn, it'd be a good buy anyway, because it's only five points and aim tokens are real good. Um, yeah. But I, I just, at least in the builds that I run, I can never seem to get it orders on more than one or two turns. And um, I think it's just fine just aim shooting whenever you happen to pull the token from the bag. At least I've found that to be the case. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the rebel downfall is that we're we're a little bit hard up for available orders mm -hmm. usually. We're not we're not organized like the imperial army is. Hey man, I th you know, for all the hate that you know, comms relay mortars get, it it is like, it does feel super imperial. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, it is super right. thematic. Like rebels, you only you can mostly only get orders to your characters, and you really only care about your characters for orders. So, um, except Tauntauns. But uh, <laughs> generally speaking, that feels right. <laughs> you know, right? Like you've got sort of the the Right. Undisorganized rabble around your characters. Um, I mean, let's be honest, man. Tauntauns are the focus piece. Luke is just a sideshow. <laughs> I mean, people aren't even anyway. taking Luke these days, other than I crazy know. people that don't anyway. take Tauntauns. Yeah. But, but don't worry, Luke players can't complain because we can take Tauntauns. <laughs> anyway, the FD cannon is, I think, best, you know, without anything on it. Generators are cool. They got a slight points drop. Um, I think you have seven points better spent there. I don't think adding suppressive really grants you a whole hell of a lot when you consider the options that other other factions have. Maybe in a mirror match. Yeah. But if you're using it to shoot a vehicle, it's kind of they're kind of working at cross purposes because your impact is being used against a vehicle and your suppressive doesn't work. I mean, maybe you're taking it for the extra dice to maybe get more crit results. I don't know. I think it's but... worth noting that I think the value on the generators, specifically on the FD turrets, has kind of gone down since HQ uplink is less necessary. Back when HQ uplink, you were you were taking it on the FDs because they needed it. Attacking a generator on was kind of a freebie because you were generally recover shooting as opposed to aim shooting. Um, yep. You know, and so you're refreshing it at every turn. And for seven points to add, you know, uh, 12 white dice to your total pool over a game, like, that's not bad. Yeah. That's not terrible. Right. You know, um, and, and six additional suppressions tokens. Like, that's that's pretty good. Um, but now that you're not always recovering and you're taking a name token, um, I think it's it's not as, as viable. Yeah. I think if you got seven points lying around... Um... It's a decent upgrade, but I never seem to have that. So. <laughs> yeah, I never have seven random points just lying around, and if I did, I would use it for a bit. Look, man, when we're maxing lists out at twelve activations, things get uh, things get tight. Yeah, you kind of need every point. <laughs> yeah, you need every point you can get. You want to talk about how to use them? Yeah. So, um, turn zero with them is really important. All right. Um, you know, like they're stationary. So where you stick them is... <laughs> what are you guys making faces at me for? I don't know. Somebody's got it's music some playing right music. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's my wife's watching TV downstairs. Oh. Yeah. Jeez. I tried to turn this thing down. It's super sensitive. All right. um, That's fine. Anyway, 
uh, yeah, like, once you stick it somewhere, um, hang on one second. <laughs> All right. Um, so what Kyle's trying to say um, is that the FD turret is really important where it goes. We, we... <laughs> and then you just you need to stick it somewhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Put it on, on the board. board. All right. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. Balance it on top of the tiniest like piece of terrain you can find. Yeah. I, I've become kind of notorious for doing that. Um, I think I actually put it on the ground in my last game. But yeah. <laughs> you did. It was behind yeah. a statue. But yeah. So due to the overhang rule, like if it sits, it fits basically. Um, if you can balance it on something, it's legal. <laughs> as long as it's not on top of lava or something like that, obviously. Um, currently. So yeah, it's uh, um, y you want it to have. So there's 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 two things I think about uh, with deployment for the FD turret. Um, you want it to have a good view of the objectives, wherever those are. And of course, when you're vetoing cards, you don't know where those are going to be. But safe bet is the middle of the table is going to be important. Um, and also, you want it to be in a position that's not like overly exposed, because you can't retreat it, right? It's stuck there. So um, I've actually found it to be, in some cases, a little bit of a liability, specifically on evaporators, where it often comes down to points. Because like, suppose you get in a situation, and I was actually in this situation in my last game, where you delete an activation early. Like, suppose you kill a mortar, that's 36 points, right? Um, if you assume that everybody's VAPs are going to be, you know, your home VAPs are going to be repaired, you're up by 36 points. But if you just run away and hide behind a big cliff, your FD turret can't run away and hide behind a big cliff. It's going to be wherever you left it. So, you know, your opponent can then focus it down and suddenly they're, they're up 70 points, right? Um, so, like, you got to make sure you put it in a spot where you can protect it if you get in a situation like that, but where it can also affect the battle so range five makes that a lot easier um that was much harder to do when it was only range four but definitely like um definitely don't put it in a spot where it's just gonna die even if it's a great vantage point <laughs> which i also did <laughs> in one of my stream games so right i think i think you put it on like a overhanging off a building roof and he just like alpha it off the board like backfire power shores yeah, it was it was one of those situations where like I was like, this is great, I can see his whole army. But of course that meant that his whole army could see my FD turret and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, so it was like the only thing he could shoot and you just blew yep. it up. Or he just blew it up. But I mean, I was gonna say, like, you say, Oh, put it somewhere you can protect it. Well, in the game after that, um you put Luke in between your FD cannon and your opponent's army. So if the opponent tried to engage your FD cannon, they had to walk into Luke. Yep. So you like you you interpose a a threat yeah. between your FD yeah, cannon. Yeah, that's the best way to use Darth Vader, man. Mm -hmm. Hidden tactic right there. Yep. Special project, tactics. Project threat. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the ideal setup, right? You have a threatening unit like that that you can put sort of halfway in between and then your opponent if they stay at range five they'll just get aim shot with your snipers and your fd and if they move up 
they'll get hacked to pieces by Luke or Vader or whatever. Obviously, Empire doesn't have an FD, but there are other some similar analogous units to set up that situation with Empire. So, hey man, we have e-whips. Shoes on the other foot now. <laughs> um, yeah, and as far as like objectives are concerned, um, I like Vaporators because it's a defensive objective for blue player. Um, it's not great if you're red player with an FD on evaporators. Uh. <laughs> FD, but your but your on breakthrough is red. Yeah, well, it's bad man. It's, it's worth noting that um, it might be worth forcing rapid reinforcements in that situation. Right. If if you can manage that, mm-hmm. uh, FD is great on rapid reinforcements. Like if your opponent is, is if your opponent's okay. dictating um, the objective or the deployment, then you can usually force rapid reinforcements unless they cut it. But I don't think almost anybody cuts rapid reinforcements these days. Yeah, I think you're either cutting limbviz or hostile environment generally. Yep. Like you're either good at you're you're good at one of those, but generally not both. Yep. Um, I think that's so. accurate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, usually rapid's going to be there if you need to force it, uh, which is which is great for an FD on any map because you can drop it wherever you want. Um, one thing that I do when I roll up to a table is I when I'm playing an FD, I immediately think about the deployment zones. Um, and where each of them falls on terrain to, to see where I can put that FD. Since it is, you know, locked in that spot for the entire game. So that's definitely like, especially if you're a blue player, when you're picking a side, you need to be considering that. Look for like an elevated spot. So it gets vision, it gets cover. Yep. And how, you know, you're trying to push it as far forward yet as safely as possible to make sure it has a long way to shoot and put it somewhere central so you can pivot to cover different lanes. Yeah. Make sure to pivot it after you deploy it in the spot that you want it. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure to actually like, like, like look at the arc lines and see where you're pointing your gun. Another mistake. I mean, usually, usually helpful. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I really like. I it. mean, if this is all it takes to get to the top four of Invader League, I mean, what are y'all doing? <laughs> get on that. Yep, FD equals win. Um, no, I really like. I really like it now that it has range five. I think that. I think that did a ton for it. I mean, it certainly plays into your play style for sure. It does. Yeah, specific. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my specific play yeah. style is very defensive, so. Yeah. Seems appropriate. All right, you guys got any more FD thoughts? I mean, there's not really much to talk about once you put it down. Yeah, aim, shoot, whatever the best target is when you pull the token. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sort of fire yep. and forget. As as far as Legion stuff goes that's fire and forget, I think the FD is pretty much it. Yep. Oh, if you're playing snipers, I don't recommend showing both models to the FD cannon. No. I'll say that much. Um, it's, anti- it's, it's anti-recommended. It's a fast way to lose them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that snipers are pretty good against the FD. Yes, less good than they used to be, though, because it can always shoot them back if it, if, if uh, they can shoot it. So yeah, yep. Can't shoot all three of them though. No, yeah, like if you got three and you're corner peeking like you should be, it's going to kill one model on the return fire. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you can stack the damage on, like, say, post max firepower, post coordinated bombardment, yeah. might as well try. Yeah. Hunter works against it too. Yep. Because it's a creature, it's a not creature, it's an emplacement trooper. Oh, yeah, the elusive lizard known as Bosk. Um, uh, yeah, wrecks it pretty hard. So, 
every, every time we say Bosk, I feel like David dies a little bit inside <laughs> as he imagines five natural born crits rolling into his <laughs> Yeah, it's just, um, yeah. And buries a, a deep seated wound I have. Yeah. Also, Death Troopers with Hunter um, eat it pretty hard. I think that's going to be a thing. I mean, it's kind of already been a thing, I think, with um, yeah. people trying to shoehorn a lot of shores and mortars and relays into the list. They've been cutting Hunter a little bit. But, uh, I mean, I think Death, Death Troopers still want it. Like, if I'm building a a Krennic list, um, that's like the first six points that I'm spending on, you know, things beyond, like, heavy weapons and medics. Yeah. Probably. I think they want... Do they, do they have two training slots? I think they do. They do, they? yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. probably hunter and offensive push. Yeah, if you got the points, yeah. Yeah. And generally, they're going to be your most expensive units, so you might as well make it make them make them as effective as possible. Make them real good. Yeah, if they're going to cost 123 points, they might as well cost 129 points, right? Right. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, if it significantly enhances them, sure. Yeah. yeah. Hey man, but water down their efficiency. Aim token. The thing is that like, on most units, aim tokens take them from being like good to like a little above good. Aim tokens for death troopers is like good to to please go home. I'm scared, you know. Like yeah, it's it's yeah. I don't know. It's that whole one aim counts for two thing they got going on. Yeah, yeah. With precise. precise two is pretty good when you got aim tokens. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Especially on those range two shots. I'll just go ahead and reroll these four blanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, if you can stack up like multiple aim tokens between like spotter and offensive push and hunter on like a you know twelve, is it twelve? It's eleven. Mm, no, it's eleven. Yeah, yeah, it's eleven. I mean, like eight of nine of them are white dice, so you know, it's uh, just a really. It's like it's like if you put a Z six in a DLT squad. Yeah. When you have the grenade config to deny cover. Yes. <laughs> also brilliant. Yeah, although no, hard to use in practice. Time, but... Yeah, unfortunately. Like, how often do you take the recover action with death troopers? Not often. So the only time that I've like generally ended up using that is if I've been running them with Veers and they like you know, fetch a free recover out of Imperial Discipline or whatever. I'm like, oh, great, I can flip the thing. But it's tough to do in practice. Middle management used to do that a lot. Yeah, totally. But that's kind of fallen out of favor because instead of taking Veers, you just take a fourth short trooper. Yeah, I mean, there are times, like, if you're already at range two of your target, you know, and they're in heavy cover, recover to flip the config to blast and use it. I think outside that, like you're never gonna start that way. So No, never. It's a rare thing. I wish it was used more because it's really good. Yep. But it's range two and the game is a range three game, so I mean know. I think it's it's worth noting that I um the last few games I've played with Death Troopers, I found myself like two turns in and like I didn't actually tap my suppressive gun. I really should have just put this on the on the blast side to start with. Um, I haven't found myself finding when those situations are going to occur before the game kind of walks through turns one and two. 
Um, but sometimes I find myself, you know, my first shot with the DTs on turn one ends up being a range three. And I don't need I don't need the config. And I was like, oh, well, I really wish I put this on the blast config to start the game. So I think that's something to consider um, as far as, you know, where you're starting from. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts? Lefty's good. Use it. So are Tauntauns. Maybe maybe we'll get some preview articles this week besides paint sets. Hey, speaking of paint sets, those have actual colors in them. Yeah, no, so I'm actually like sort of vaguely excited about the paint sets. I know people were expecting some like big unit reveal. Um <laughs> and maybe we'll still get that. But like, you know, this is a hobby game and FFG doesn't really do hobby, so the fact that they're actively trying is a little encouraging. I don't know how many of those they're actually going to sell. Um, no, I mean, I still think you go out and buy like the Army Painter Mega Set or whatever. It's a much better value. Because um, it's the same paint. It's Yeah, right. It's the same paint. It's just labeled um, differently. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's good for people starting out. Like, this is like you buy your core set and you're like, oh, you know, somebody, if, if you're putting Star Wars Legion on your Christmas list, right? You're like, okay, give me a core set and give me the, you know, Republic paint set that goes along with it. And this doesn't really apply to like us people that have poured hundreds of hundreds and thousands of dollars into this game. But, you know, um, yeah, I've got a, I've got a huge library of paint already. I don't need like a, yeah, but yeah. But I will say, I think that these paint sets were way more on brand in that. There were like the stormtrooper paint set came with like eight shades of black. Um, I guess black. I don't. Know. Black's not technically a color, I guess. But you know, it was like there was eight shades of gray in there. Yeah, extremely and, dark gray. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like I mean, this is cool, I guess. But these sets at least have like blues and vibrant greens and some reds and stuff. So, which is nice. Yeah, and I think like if you're if you're moving over to Legion from another from another game and you've never done like a hobby game like legion i think it's fine yeah this isn't this isn't geared at people listening to this podcast like people listening to this podcast are going to be like what we didn't get a new unit you know just because like you know if you're listening to this podcast you already played this game Hey, what's the what's the next unit I can buy to dunk my opponents with at the local game store? That's what we're, that's what we're listening to this podcast for. I hope that's if you not haven't the only figured thing. it out yet, it's Tauntauns, by the way. <laughs> uh, brutal. Um, well, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get some unit previews too. That, that was rumored, so um, maybe by the time you listen to this cast. But uh, um, anyway... Uh, Adapticon folks, watch out for that article. Go in there and, and sign up if you have an invite. So, yeah. Final thoughts? Are you gonna stretch this out any longer? <laughs> hey, we got we got one minute until. Okay, there we go. We just hit one fifteen. That's a nice round number. You know, I nice stall. You know, I like nice round numbers. So, it you can blank stare. <laughs> It's supposed yeah. to be like an accountant joke, but 
Okay. Hand waving from the booth. <laughs> Did you know Chuck Norris can do audit and consulting work for the same client? Whoa! <laughs> Whoa. All right, let's uh, let's crash this plane here. Um, we are the notorious with scoundrels. no survivors. <laughs> we are the notorious scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David, and we'll see you next week. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. Join us next week for another episode of The Notorious Scoundrels. This has been a Fifth Trooper production.